On this episode of Pennies Going In Raw, are you lonely this Valentine's Day? Well, we got you covered. We're talking about this week in the market, how the swings are doing, and uh, the algo switch. Hey, yo, check one, two. This is Flavor Flav in the building for the Atlas crew. Atlas trading, what the fuck is up? They're traders, they're prodigies, and then there's legends. Rob, 4%, baby. No way. 4% fucking percent. by the fucking dip. Hey, who told me about IDEX? Like, dude, what the fuck? Like, someone just made, like, a m- lot more money than me on my trade. You find out, likes this game of pennies. Did you check the portfolio? Pennies. 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 The margin for error is so small. I bet Warren Buffett never did that. And they out there making money right now off of penny stocks. The two guys is putting their work to make y'all rich. The pennies we need are everywhere around us. Something big. Pennies going in raw. Featuring Dan, Deity It Dips, and Hugh Honey. Produced by Vinny Strokes, baby. Welcome back to Pennies Going In Raw. Today is Sunday, February the 14th, aka Valentine's Day. And this episode of Pennies Going In Raw is brought to you by Benzinga. Benzinga is our favorite news scanner. We use it every day when we trade. Benzinga Pro brings you the fastest stock market news and research, alerts, news feeds, stock screeners, chats, and much more, all customizable. Try free for two weeks at pro.benzinga.com. But yeah, you this week we we definitely saw a continuation of a crazy market. We saw tons of halts. It seems like low float halters were the theme. We had to change some things in the trades. I mean, I think tr- we always say trade what's in front of you. It doesn't seem like SPACs were really in front of us these past two weeks. No, SPACs definitely weren't. It, it you know this was all low float February in its full swing. Um, I mean, we we saw things with. You know, 500k float. Even FWP, one of the ones from the past, came up. Um, that thing was up like 15% one day. It, it just absolutely insane for the low floats. Um, you know, SPACs took a back seat for yet again another week. Um, but, you know, it was an exciting week all around. I, I couldn't believe um, how fast the week went by. But then at the same time, I was like, oh, God, is this week over? <laughs> Yeah, it was it was definitely one of my better weeks. I had to really adjust and I do post all my positions every day. And a lot of people were definitely questioning some of my moves. I, I did have to scale back some of the SPACs. But one of the things we want to talk about is playing your strategy and playing with risk management. But at the same time, taking advantage of this crazy market and just being able to go balls to the walls when you need to. Yeah, exactly. We've seen people 5x their account inside the past, um, you know, six weeks, which is really awesome to see. We talked about this, but that's not really my game. Um, But, you know, for the people that are, you know, trying to adapt to the best, you know, reward that the market gives them, I mean, they're just absolutely crushing it. We've seen them inside the past six weeks. Yeah. And uh, just retouching on on changing the strategy is is like, what we just mentioned is is the theme this week. It seemed was low floaters halting up and then running another thirty percent, and then they dip, and then you can actually play them on the dip again. And when I was doing those, I was sometimes slapping halts, and I never did that before with with tons of capital, just because it's what has been running this week, and I, I want to take advantage of those. And although that isn't usually my plan. You know, the people I'm trading with them voice every day. I usually don't like to chase things like this. 
but it doesn't feel it, like we talked about last week. The market's rewarding chasers. I'm not putting this into my forever plan, but hell, I mean, if it's working right now, you got to take advantage of what's working unless it's going to cause bad habits in the future. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And I think that what you just brought up is a really, really, really important lesson. You know, recently I've seen some people who have done 5X their accounts. So like we talked about with GME, the backside of the trade comes 10 times faster. This also pertains to your account. So it's really important to press it while it's hot. But as we started to see is that we've seen the tape change a little bit. And so when I went on Twitter, some of the people that have 5X their accounts inside the past six weeks have were also down 20 to 30% inside the past two days. And I think that what Dan just said is a really good point is um, it's great to play the hot hand, but you have to understand that when you take that first slap in that face, when you get too close to the oven, you know, you need to take a step back and de-risk a little bit and stop buying the dip, stop buying the dip going in heavier. And I think that that's what we're starting to see. Yeah, I think one thing we definitely want to make sure is like... What I got caught in was that August downtrend. That was that was a bad month for me. And it was just because I kind of added those those dips and that just kept dipping. And I obviously SPAQ, now Fisker, played a big role in that. But at the same time, I'm not gonna get caught in that same thing again. That was my lesson learned from there. And I know my strategy enough and I have conviction in my trading enough that Whenever I need to stop trading so rambunctiously like I am right now, I can. And it's not going to form a bad habit that leads to me just blowing my account up because I'm in and out of these quick. And that's, you know, I think that's what you have to understand. Like you said, the hot hand, but also after a while, that hot hand goes away and you have to go back to what works for you. Exactly. Don't try and fight the trend. Uh, and I think that this should be a real wake up call because I think what we, you know, I mean, it, it really stinks because I love interacting with so many of you. Um, but, you know, it was awesome to see how many of you were three, four, five X in your accounts. But then for you guys to turn around and be down 20 to 30%. Now, again, that's a small hit on your overall account compared to your gains. A few years ago, if, if Andrea Guadalla was, was just on fire, they're passing it to him. Every time. But, you know, once he starts to missing, they're just going to go back to Steph, Clay, and KD because they're way better shooters usually. You know, go back to your usual strategy, but but sometimes something's hot and you've got to play it. Again, we, we I mean, I feel like PGRR has just turned into, you know, like a, to a certain extent, like a broken record. Like a, a caution, like a, uh, a crossing guard. Yeah. Hey, careful, careful. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I hope that at least if five people that listen to this at least save themselves from blowing up, then then I'll feel okay about it. Because it really stinks. Because like I said, I mean, I already had two to three people that lost 20 to 30% um, of their accounts. And, you know, I think that that's just the beginning because we saw, I mean, now that we have no stocks underneath a dollar, I mean, everything is just super overextended. And and I think we saw a clear tape change um, earlier this week. Yeah, uh, I think that's another good thing to talk about. Before we go into the full tape changes, uh, are we going to have to become dollars going in raw? We're, there, we're like running out of penny stocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're running out of penny stocks. You know, it's funny because we used to 
you know, we used to complain about reverse splits that would make stocks, you know, go from 30 cents to $3. I think pretty soon we're going to be doing, uh, you know, regular splits back to penny stocks, you know, so that, so that we at least have something to play underneath a dollar. Yeah, we're, we're either going to have to get some offerings, some huge offerings or, or some yeah. splits or maybe promote yeah. some OTC stocks to the NASDAQ because yeah. this is, what are we going to do? I don't, I like the name of the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Give me shit back at eight cents, dear lord. Yeah, vessel, vessel. Um, we could be trading that at twelve again. Twelve cents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Oh man, that was one of my biggest positions at at like fourteen cents. Oh, but um, yeah. So so I think that that we've seen a it, listen. If you're beginning to trade and you think that this is normal, again, I'm just going to tell you, this is not normal. I mean, when I used to do scans for one of the things I used to use is Finviz, and um, I would look for anything underneath two dollars a share, and then I would and and I would search through five, six, seven, eight pages of stocks underneath two dollars. Now I go in there, and it's there's literally like fifteen, and I know all of those like the back, all those companies like the back of my hand, you know. So it, it's just wild to see inside the last eight months the penny market, but the overall market, it, it's it's incredible. Yeah, do you think a lot of it's a lot of these pennies are just no longer penny stocks because all these new traders. I mean, obviously the new traders have a lot to do with it, but just stimulus checks. Hey, the only thing I can afford is some penny stocks. If this one goes to $5, I'll be rich kind of mentality. Definitely. We saw, I think Verde tweeted it. It was um, just buy all the stocks underneath a dollar. Yeah. like He said it was becoming a legitimate strat to just buy stocks under a dollar because they'll be over a dollar. Exactly. Exactly. And he said that whenever there was only 15 of them left. And now I think there's three. So, I mean, that's a pretty good average. That's like an 80% working rate right there. But yeah, this, this past week, we did see like a lot of lower volatility in the market. And you talked about a tape change. Can you kind of expand on that whole thing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you guys, if you guys have been listening to PGIR, you know how much I enjoy statistics and knowing the numbers, because I feel like when I know the numbers, I I can understand something and I understand the why. And so what part of this market, the market, as easy as everyone makes it seem, when you get down to it is honestly the most com is one of the most complex things I put that right up there with understanding the brain. It, it's incredible. So I want you guys to think about something. Okay. Neurologist and stock market analyst. Yeah. It's it's just Jim Kramer and I don't know any neurologists like uh, and uh, brain Mer- surgery. Meredith Gray. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So think about this. In 2006, 25% of the market was run by algos. Okay. It's estimated in 2020 or 2021 that over 80% of the market will be controlled by algos. So we talk a lot about retail trading and how much, you know, how much retail has on the effect of the market. But when we really break it down, 80% of the market is controlled by algorithms. And, and so there's a few different, there's, there's hundreds of different of algorithms. But if you watch a chart and, and SNDL was a perfect example, if you watch a chart, and if you had SNDL or you have your you know, trading computer, bring up the chart and put on SNDL on the three day one minute. Okay. On the bigger volume days, what you can see is, is that you can see the algorithms, run it up, dump it, scoop up the shares, run it up, dump it, scoop it up the shares. And it's almost a perfect, it's literally almost a perfect higher low all the way up the chart. And then you can see where the algos turn off 
and it just starts to trickle down, trickle down, trickle down. You can see retail tries to buy the dip and there's just not enough staying power. So one of the things that Ricky, Bobby, and I have talked about on the trading floor inside the Atlas Discord is the tape change, okay? Something that we saw on a smaller scale in 2017, 2018 was when they turned off the algorithms. Uh, same thing. They ran the weed stocks and then the algorithms completely turned off. So I think we're getting close to a point to where the algorithms may be turned off. And what we're going to see is, is that we're going to see volatility die. Not not necessarily die, but become much slower. So something right now is going two to 300% on absolutely no news. I feel like every day I'm waking up and I'm texting inside the discord saying, Hey, why is AAME up 200%? Is there any news? And, And I'm just getting no, 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 no. So like we talked about, okay, chasers are being rewarded right now. When the algorithms are turned off, think about taking away 80% 80% of the volume on average. Okay. So if something trades a hundred million shares, if you take away 800 million shares, what do you think is going to happen to that stock? Right now we're seeing something like SAVA have okay data and it goes up 200%. And that brings the entire Alzheimer's um, sector with it. Okay. Now think about it this way. When the algorithm dies off, say they turn off the algorithm, then what's going to happen is, is SAVA, if they do any kind of decent offering, then they're going to bring down the entire sector because there's no volatility to buy that dip. Retail can keep it up for so long, but at a certain point, if the algorithm turns off, retail will not be able to keep the stocks where they are right now. Okay. So if these retail traders aren't going to be able to keep it up, and that's what will cause these stocks eventually to drop, in, in your opinion, is um, <clears throat> could you kind of explain to the newer investor what these algos or algorithms are? Yeah, definitely. So the algorithms, let's think of it like a math equation. And every time that, a math, that something like a certain stock uh, aligns with this equation, then what an algorithm does is it buys and it gets to a certain point and sells. And sometimes it's just buying it and selling it for 10 cents, but it's doing that tens of thousands of times. Um, so the algorithm, like I said, on the SMDL sh- uh, chart, you can literally see where it's run by the algorithm. You'll see literally buying, 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 dump it. Buying, 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 dump it. Buying, 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 dump it. And, and it just walks it all the way up the chart. And then it gets to a certain point and it shuts it off because it's because, you know, whatever the math equation may be, you know, let's say that that the math equation says, OK, 1130 is uh, is lunchtime. So the algorithm automatically turns off um, something as simple as that. And you can see where SNDL drops, you know, 25 percent simply because the algorithm wasn't running it up and retail isn't able to catch that dip. It trades a billion shares on average this week. Um, I, I can almost guarantee you that retail probably was maybe, maybe 25% of that, maybe 30%. So 70% of that volume was the algorithm. So th- that's what I'm saying is that is that these algorithms are basically a math equation. And so they have a certain set of parameters to probably relative volume, maybe news, something like that, maybe in a sector and kind of like, uh, you know, once it hits, once it hits these parameters, then it, then it locks onto the stock and it's going to run it, run it, run it, dump it for maybe like a 2% gain, run it, run it, run it, dump it 2% gain. And they're just doing this over and over and over again to five, six, seven, eight stocks. And that's why we're seeing, that's why we saw 
all the one under $1 stocks run because there was an algorithm on it that said, okay, <laughs> great, fantastic. There's not many stocks underneath $1. So it comes down to supply and demand. You know, if we run up these stocks, then retail is going to come in and just help boost it. And that's really what that's really what the algorithm comes down to is that think of it like an equation and the but the equation takes over the stock. So if you're on a stock and all of a sudden it just starts shooting up, um, you know, and 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 it doesn't have any news, there's probably an algorithm on it. One of uh, my favorite memories of the word algorithm is uh, one time my buddy was explaining to his drug dealer how Bitcoin worked. And uh, he used after he used the word algorithm once uh, the drug dealer was out. He's like, I, yep, I don't get this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's no, no, that's a really good point. It is super complex. And I, and I guarantee I'll get at least 20 DMs telling me that I'm nuts. But I'm telling you, you guys, we saw a clear tape change inside. I, I guess it was Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. But if you look at anything that had above a 15 million float, it probably didn't have much volume. The stocks that were running were low floats, right? The CLEU, the, uh, what was it? The TGC or was that Wednesday? It, anything with a low float was running, like we said, at February low float. Um, but you saw things with news and red, uh, which is kind of insane. And, and, it, and it was, and not many people picked up on it because we had low floats halting all day. But I think you're going to see a clear change in the volume, you're going to see things where they get news. And if you buy that news, you'll be red on the day. And, and that's what we're going to see is that is that volume precedes price action. And if that volume, which 80% is algorithm, if that volume is taken away, the price isn't going to move like we're seeing. We're not going to see, like right now, we're seeing two, three, four, 500% movers daily. You will not see that if they turn off the algorithm. And that's why I keep stressing that play the hot hand. But as Dan says, party near the door, because if the algorithms do turn off and you keep buying the dip, those five, the people that 5X their accounts will keep buying the dip. And all of a sudden their account will be down 80%. And I, and I, Listen, if that's you right now and you 5X your account, okay, I'm, you might not want to hear it, but you have to hear it so that if you do see the tape change and you do see lower volume, you need to de-risk. You need to put your starters a tenth of the size. And, and, and that's what we're trying to prepare you for. Yeah. And, and that's one of the big things. And it's not only that, but it'll take a big emotional toll. If I didn't, right before August, like the last day of July, I had like a... 20% of my account trade because PRPO halted up 700% or something crazy. Uh, if I didn't have that trade right before the whole shitty August, I, uh, you know, I would have been down bad. You know, I would have lost it. And, and if, if I didn't have that buffer, it would have really affected my mental state when it, for whenever the market finally did get good again in like that October, September, November range. And th that's one of the things you can't, lose money for like a multitude of reasons for the obvious basic of it. And then, you know, it's tough just being down that much just overall. Oh, it's, it's super tough. Yeah. Especially after you just were on your winning streak and you know, you never want to get on that whole roller coaster of I'm making money. I'm not, this is for me. Is it not for me? But with all that being said, and whenever the algo does take back and these do start dropping and all that, I, I think kind of touching on having conviction in your plays, but also 
when to take profits on them is super important to kind of chat about because obviously these dips are going to come and not just when to take profits, but when to say, okay, screw this. Uh, maybe it's time instead of taking profits to stop taking losses on it. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And you know, that's a really good point. And I think that one conviction, if you're a day trader, there has to be a level to where the conviction means different things to different traders. I think for me, conviction as a swing trader means, okay, if the market halts down 6% and my stock goes down 15% with it, I'm going to have conviction to hold it through because I know that the stock market can't go any lower today. If, it, if it's down 6 7%, okay, it can't go down any lower today. So uh, for me, that's what conviction means is that I'm holding through the tough times. Uh, okay, if, if an offering drops, like for instance, NSPR, an offering dropped, it, it dropped 12% from my initial entry. Um, so, you know, some of my friends that were in it, they dropped the stock. Instead, I loaded up and now it's trading over 150, 160. Um, but as a day trader, conviction probably means, okay, you know, the stock made a lower high. Um, now it's creating a wedge. Um, it broke down out of that wedge. Am I going to add more because it still has it still has more support lower, or am I going to cut the trade? So I think that the conviction can mean a few different things for different traders. Yeah, depending on like what kind of a trader you are, obviously conviction is going to be so much different. But you know, even when it comes to like these specs, do you have conviction through it, or is it based on okay, well you're not risking so much? How can you? I don't want to say we should hold their hands through a SPAC fire, but at least um, point them in a general direction if they are worried about these losses. And like we say, if you're worried about, you know, if it's keeping you up at night, maybe you should sell some. But a lot of people, they're like, oh, this is so good. It should turn around. But every day, your confidence on it just gets less and less and less. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's, I think we should break that down to three different areas. One, if you're holding something that hasn't announced their partner yet, if you're holding something that hasn't announced a partner yet and the valuation is, is say the stock is trading at 17 and they haven't announced a merging partner yet, but it's speculated to be like Tesla or something. Um, I think that that's something to keep in mind. If it's not Tesla or it's not XYZ, um, you know, what's your downside risk? Your downside risk is, you know, is 50, 60%. Um, because, and, and even if it is Tesla, you know, you have to ask yourself, what's my upside? So I think that pre, pre announcement, um, you have to ask yourself that. And if you're holding this back, let's, let's take something like, uh, like the longer term ones, like Clove, Lots, um, UWNMC, you know, uh, things of that nature. Okay. The, the mergers already happened. The, the business operations are going through things of that nature. So I think you have to ask yourself if, if you're holding that one, if you're holding it as a swing trader for a catalyst, what's your catalyst? What's the upside? If you're holding inside your long-term investment account, you have to ask yourself, what's my down, you know, what's my downside? What's my upside? And how much is this going to affect my portfolio? So I know across the board, when I'm inside a for my longer portfolio, uh, I usually keep about five to ten percent of my account inside each individual stock. So I ask myself, okay, if X Y Z goes to zero, what what does that do to my portfolio? And I say, okay, I take a ten percent hit max. That's not going to break the bank. But for for instance, something like uh, like we were playing overstock around this time last year. 
I had started in on it at eight. It dropped down to three. Um, so then at that point, I doubled up. It had 10% of my account. So even if it went to zero, 10% of my account would be lost, but that's it. The stock ended up going to 150 a share. So I think that you have to ask yourself, one, what's my risk? Two, what am I waiting for? What's my reward? And three, what are the different downsides? I, you know, I got some beef on Twitter because I had talked about TRCH and I know that some other traders have been on TRCH before me, but one of the most important things when I'm trading is, is that I want to know, I don't want there to be a thousand different variables. So the reason I see the most upside with TRCH in something like TRCH, instead of getting it, maybe even a dollar lower is one, because they dropped a massive offering. So I already got it at a discount. Okay. Now, now I know that they don't need cash. Okay. What if they dropped the offering with warrants? Then the people that got in a dollar lower would have been screwed. Then you have to ask yourself, you know, what's the share structure? Um, you know, I know the share structure, so that takes away a variable. So, so there's a bunch of different things, you know, you want to ask yourself, what are my variables? What's my risk? What's my reward? And what are the catalysts? What am I waiting for? Um, and I think that if you can't answer that, you can't answer all those questions, then, um, then you need to seriously readjust your portfolio to smaller position sizes. And you need to really hone in on your positions and, uh, and, and create a plan. You know, why don't you have a plan for these things? Yeah. I mean, obviously <clears throat> having a plan, but you know, whenever so many people just are getting into things off of Twitter calls that just start going down or something like that, it, you know, it's, it's, it's bad. Even, even we, you know, we take losses on longer term swings too. Sometimes the risk reward it in there. And I'm not saying any of these SPACs are necessarily bad or aren't great long-term holds, but for me, the opportunity cost for, you know, a little bit of them was, it was just eating at what could be happening, uh, just day trading these crazy things going on right now. But, you know, when they're hot again, they're hot and that's, you know, trading what's in front of you is always so big. I mean, just one thing I got some some hate on, uh, let's get some... This may get us some one star reviews. I got CCIV puts for like, you know, April and, and June. You know, I, I missed the party on it. And there is a lot of information on Lucid and CCIV merging. But if it falls through, and there have been so many of these things that have, you know, why not? Uh, it seems like a pretty good buy for like $400. And if they go 4,000%, they go 4,000%. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And, and we talked about this on Benzinga. Is that CCIV, if it's Lucid Motors, what's your upside? Personally, I think CCIV, your upside is maybe $50, $60. Um, that's probably where, what it's worth. Uh, now, that's not saying that it can't squeeze like a QS to the hundreds, but you see what QS did. It, it came back down to 50. And I think that this, you know, even if it squeezes to 100, I think it comes back down to 50. But then you have to ask yourself again, what's your downside? Okay, there's no news. There, there's no, there's nothing. There's nothing. Okay, there's speculation right now. Um, and this thing's trading at $40 a share. You could lose 80% of your investment just like that in a day. In a, if, if th this thing will get killed, killed. Um, and, and no, so I think your puts bet is really good and you can hedge yourself. You know, that's another hedge for your SPACs. If you're heavy in SPACs, buying, um, you know, puts inside a SPAC that you think that, you know, everyone's hyping up that you think is not worth that is, is a really good way to hedge yourself because if one SPAC that everybody's in gets killed, uh, all the SPACs are going to take a dip. 
Yeah, and, and we've talked about all these, you know, talked to all these people that go public through SPACs and everything. But it seems like the trend of them, they merge, you know, they have their day traded, but buying puts on them before they merge, they seem to drop like 20% over the next three, two, three weeks before they really reverse. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to valuation. And we talked about this before is that it, some of these SPACs are getting, you know, they're getting bid up, you know, five times the valuation. Um, so, so five times the valuation, you know, if you're merging with something um, that does 500 million in revenue and the SPAC is worth, you know, together combined 5 billion, I mean, then, then it's worth a 10, you know, it's worth a 10th of what it's trading at. So what we're seeing a lot with these SPACs is that they're getting ran up into the merger, um, you know, way past their valuation. And then once they do merge, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, we're seeing dips back down to where, what it's worth, because again, that's what it's worth. Uh, SPAC craze was nuts and everything that ha- was a SPAC was getting bid up way, way over their valuation. Yeah, but I, like I said, I do think that a lot of these will be great holds for the long term, and I do plan on reentering them, and I, I still am holding a good bit of them. So obviously, this isn't like a, oh, go panic, go sell. This is just, no, no, you know, no. yeah. like we've been saying for, for weeks, you know, be smart, uh, risk management when it comes to them, and I think that about covers it for that segment. And I think now we can kind of just get into our or swings really. And I know you have some DD, you went crazy on the trading floor on TRCH, but before TRCH, I know you'll get on that. You won't get off it. Hell yeah. Uh, (laughs) Your swings. Uh, Right now, I know I mentioned it earlier. I, I paper hands some, not paper hands. I don't like that term makes me sound weak. Uh, I, I freed up some opportunity cost. Um, Went a little bit lighter in some, uh, and it and it paid off, but you know I'm ready to enter and back at any time. Just watching the market and careful of what the conditions are. Uh, but yeah, I'm still mainly you know I have my UWMC and my lots, and I just don't have enough that'll make me cry if it <laughs> goes down like crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's definitely a good point. Is is adjusting your risk, and I think one thing that uh, we had talked about was um you know and even what we talked about inside this episode is seeing people you know, uh, seeing the algo change can really make you want to de-risk. And, and, and I think it's important that, um, especially, you know, places where you don't see the most value to de-risk. And that's why I started to look for, you know, some bigger swings because once low floats are done and, uh, you know, let's say the volume does drop, I, I want to be somewhere where the best risk to reward is. And that's why the three swings that I'm most heavy in right now is, uh, in no particular order. Cause to be honest, I don't know how much I have in each, but uh, <laughs> it's TRCH, VISL, and comms. So that's TRCH, that's V-I-S-L, and that is C-O-M-S. And so just talking about swings in general, if you're new here, um, you know, the way that we kind of handle swings is that we try and find, we do it a few different ways, but when we can fit a, a stock or a company into a thesis, that's really great. And then you add on a nice chart that that's even better. And then on top of that, the, the company has its own catalyst. That's when like, we really start to hit the jackpot. And, um, and, and that's what I think we're seeing here with these three companies. 
they each are fitting into the thesis, which I personally think that most of the Biden administration stocks had been getting hit. So, so what I mean by that is that we had the solar run, we had the electric vehicles run, we had we now had the weed stocks run, run, which I think could see more upside. But um, my point is that one of the things that Biden wants to focus on is drones and really emerging markets and, and, you know, getting the technology to the next step. And so that's why I like the drones. And I also like the 5G that comms has. And then TRCH, it, who, you know, for everyone out there, I got probably 50 DM telling me that TRCH is an oil company and that they're not diabetes. Guys, they are merging with a company. Read my tweets. I know that they're a little lengthy sometimes. Go back, read the tweets, read the discord. They're merging with Meta. Meta is is a massive upside potential. I think I estimated or they estimated that they have 13 billion in a market application. And so what that means is that they're in a bunch of different emerging markets and their potential market reach is over 13 billion. And that doesn't even include the MRI scan that they're trying to create there, you know, and, and that doesn't even include the diabetes um, because you can't include something that you're still testing on. And so I think that that's a really important key here is that TRCH, one of the backlashes of TRCH is that they're only getting 25% of the company. And this is the way that I like to look at it. They're getting 25% of a company that could be potentially worth, let's call it, even if they got 1%. Okay. Let's say that, that they're, that they're valued at, you know, let, let's call it that uh, Meta is Meta and TRCH together when they merge is valued at five billion dollars because that's the amount of assets as of September 2020 that they had on the books. So if we take them just at that value, and TRCH has 25 percent, okay, TRCH even if their market cap is underneath a billion dollars is still undervalued. Okay, so if that didn't make sense, again, the market cap is what the company is worth you know, based on the shares. So TRCH's market cap as of right now is 400 million. Okay. So now if Meta, when they merge with Meta can reach a a market cap of 5 billion, that would mean that TRCH's piece of that. So the 25% of that piece would be worth around, was that like 1.25? So again, if we're going to value Meta at their based on their assets, so let's call it, you know, and that and, and that's not how that works, but let's just do it that way, okay? Let's value them at their assets, which is five billion as of September 2020. TRCH gets 25 percent of that, okay? That means that on book, TRCH is worth at least 1.2 billion dollars. As I just said, the market cap of TRCH currently is. 400 million. So that means that we could potentially see 3x from here just based on valuation. Now we can go crazy and, you know, start, start saying stuff like, you know, the PE ratio, um, you know, and, and then, then it just gets stupid. You know, we could see like 10x from here, but I'm not, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about the merger, which is one month from February 12th. So we're, so we're, we're within a month. Okay. Book value of meta. Let's say we value it at 5 billion. TRCH would be valued at 1.5 or I mean, excuse me, 1.2 billion. And right now it's trading at about 400 million market cap. And that's 
And so, you know, I mean, I said a $10 price target is doable. And I think that, you know, you can see the numbers. That's definitely doable. Now, that being said, I think it's important to think about our risk here. Um, you know, I love TRCH, but we always have the risk that the merger doesn't go through. So the CEO of Meta did tweet that they have 47% of the votes for the merger. But if there comes out a headline about the merger not going through, we just cut our ties. Okay. And that's how I'm going to play that. I don't love playing merger plays, but this is one where I see the best risk to reward. Okay. They have the cash. Okay. They're merging with a company. And even though they're only getting 25%, the company, that company is in every emerging market and has 89 patents. They are well on their way to being a, a, massive company. One of the ones I like to compare them to is Tata. If you guys look them up in India, they are a conglomerate and they are massive. They have Tata Motors, they have Tata Health, they 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 are massive. And I think that that's what Meta is trying to go for. So that's enough about TRCH. Like I said, they have the cash. Right now, they look like they have the votes. You know, the chart is primed. And, uh, and I'm really excited for this one. You know, we have, we're about three and a half weeks out from the catalyst. And I think that this thing's just going to rip into the catalyst. And I would love to see double digits by the time that the merge is approved. And I think that we can really get there. And if you're looking for more DD on TRCH, you can also just search on Twitter from Hugh Hinney and then search TRCH. I'm sure, you know, if one of you guys wants to make a, a thread of it all and, and post it, you know, we'll give you a retweet and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll re- really appreciate that because a lot of his DD is, is spread out over the course of a week. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, he, you, you have a lot of stuff on it. And I think even whenever we were on Benzinga on Friday, it was, it was funny. I mean, you, you saw, we mentioned it at two or you mentioned it at 240 whenever, you know, it was on a little dip. It was kind of consolidating around that mark. And then they, uh, you know, just 30 minutes later, they're like, holy shit, that thing is ripping. It was up another, like, what, 25%. You know, I mean, I love the, you know, the chart on this thing. You know, let's just keep stair-stepping it. I mean, you know, like Dan said, it was consolidating at 240. It broke out to new highs, and now it's consolidating again. You know, I mean. Like 380, it hit like, what, almost 380 and after Yeah, hours. exactly. And, and I think that, you know, that's what I mean is that this thing loves to rip. This thing loves to consolidate. The chart is perfect. It hit new all-time highs, came down, consolidated, hit another new all-time high, and now it's you know down a little bit and it's consolidating. And so I love this chart. And the thing that you know a lot of people don't understand about mergers like this is that even even I said it, my cousin who works at a fund, I sent him TRCH and he said, "Why the hell would I buy this?" And um, and I said, "Dude, you know." The, don't look at TRCH, look at the merger. And he said, what, they're merging? And they looked into it and guess who bought some? So I think that that's really important is that as the word gets out, you know, that um, TRCH is merging with a different company and, and the company, you know, and when it gets out what the company does and what who the company is, I think that it's going to get more eyes on it. I think that, you know, 10 is doable. But if, you know, everything's shaping up for $10. Um, you know, and I think the other thing I want to talk about was the special dividend. So a special dividend is when a company pays a one-time payment back to the investors. Now, the important thing about a special dividend is that, or any dividend, is that if the company can't pay a dividend, they won't pay it. So I think that that's really important is that they're not reinvesting 
um, you know, the, the money, what they're doing is that they're sent, giving it out to investors. That's going to give investors a reason to hold this stock, um, which is different than any other SPAC, any other merger, anything like that. Um, and, and so I got another question of why, why would Meta merge with TRCH? One, they go public. Two, TRCH, TRCH as an oil and gas company was a complete failure, a complete failure. But guess what? They're not going to be an oil and gas company anymore. They are selling all of their assets and all of the, all of the money that after they pay their, you know, debts and other things like that is going to go back into the investors as a special dividend. And so I want you to understand that, yes, okay, as an oil and gas company, completely garbage, but they're not going to be an oil and gas company. They are wiping the slate clean with Meta and Meta is trying to create, you know, uh, alternative energy. And I think that, you know, the, that this sector is what Meta was missing. TRCH, it was a trash company that they could pick up and completely transform. And so I, I really love TRCH. Like I said, I'd love to see double digits. The chart is primed. We have the catalyst within a month and they have the capital. It's in an emerging market. They have billions of dollars of potential market, um, you know, potential market reach. And, and I really love this. And I'll be dropping a little more DD throughout the week, you know, as it rolls in because you have to always do, you know, constantly updating DD and doing DD. Um, but, you know, we might, while we're here, we might as well, we might as well give a little more DD. You know, we talk about the merger as the catalyst, but something that's really important is that as Meta releases news, that's good for TRCH. Okay. Now Meta does trade over the counter, but I don't touch over the counters. It, it, I don't, I don't touch them. I'm not doing that. If you want to touch it, that's you, but I, I don't touch that. And one of the important things is that <laughs> Meta on their presentation has seven different catalysts within the next year. Seven. If they give an update on any of them, what do you think TRCH is going to do? TRCH is going to run with the meta news because again, they're merging. So my biggest thing that I'm looking at is the MRI medical imaging. Okay. They are, you know, inside the investor presentation, they are saying that they want to commercialize it. Okay. Possible market entry by 2021, by 2021, we're, you know, that, you know, if we start getting updates on the MRI scan, this could be, you know, this could be massive because then once they're on the New York Stock Exchange, then funds can invest right now. You know, no fund is going to invest inside an OTC. So I think that's really important is that big fish are going to start coming in. Uh, current shareholders have, have a incentive to hold being the special dividend. And, uh, and I, I'm re- personally, I'm really excited for this for well, the way that things are shaping up. Now, like I said, if the merger doesn't go through, then we'll be dropping our shares, but I really like where this is going. The CEO claims that they have 47% of the votes, 47%. That's massive. We're one month away and they have over almost half the votes. So I'm super excited for this stock. All right. Well, <clears throat> if you haven't heard enough, this may be the end of the TRCHDD unless he just keeps diving in. We pray he's done. <laughs> However, it is Valentine's Day. That's true. Right? That's true. It is Valentine's yeah. Day. Are, are we valent? Can we can we call her? Can will you be my Valentine? Yeah, don't don't tell your girlfriend. <laughs> um 
I know. Whenever you're t- saying all that, I always think it's funny with you knowing all this random tidbits about the like biomedical field and shit. Like if you were dating like a nurse or a doctor and she gets home and you're like, well, can I go with you to the MRI <laughs> department? I want to see how CAT scans work. <laughs> um, and just like just random shit like that, picking for information. But I mean, it is Valentine's Day. So before we get into a bunch of, you know, the nitty gritty of everything, how about for the single people, we like to smoke weed. Not much else to do on Valentine's Day. So how about we talk to the guy who knows it best, who's been investing in weed stocks for about almost a decade now, the Wolf of Weed Street. All right, so today we have on Jason Spadafora, a.k.a. the Wolf of Weed Street. How are you, man? Good, guys. How are you? Doing awesome. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, you know, it's uh, I've been waiting. I'm like, when am I going to come back to the yeah. guy, to, to like my roots? You know, everybody has to go home at some point. You know, and you guys it. are like the new young guys. You know, and I'm like the old shit now. So don't worry, one, day, one day you're going to be in my spot. You got it. You always got to come back to Twitter eventually. I mean, that's that's where it, that's where it all happens. Um, I guess we'll kind of start off with how did you get the name Wolf of Weed Street? Uh, it, it was pretty simple. Um, I was just engaged and my uh, fiance went out with a bunch of her friends. And I was like, oh, all right, I, you know, I'm going to sit home. And I smoked a joint and was like sitting on my couch and I saw a trailer for Wolf of Wall Street, and I was like, Wolf of Weed Street, that's a clever name. I'm like, somebody has to have it. And uh, nobody had it on Twitter, so I, I just jumped on it. And my <laughs> whole thing was, all right, I'm going to be the anti-Jordan Belfort and just talk as much shit about all these companies, um, you know, in like Pot Stock Arena. So this is January 3rd, 2014, to give you an idea. Um, I know because I just had my, my seven-year anniversary. Um, congrats congrats thanks so yeah that's how it started it was just kind of like just for shits and giggles um and it just kind of morphed into you know something else that's awesome man uh right before we were talking about this you you said before there was a zach morris on twitter there was there was you there was the wolf of weed street uh, yeah. could you kind of give us that like timeline and and you said you also had like the same you had your era of tim sykes for you uh yeah like, how did the competition end up because i mean we hardly hear anything from tim sykes now mostly because he has all of us blocked but yeah because he's a twat the, yeah, he's, getting, he's getting sued for everything he's ever made he stole uh what is it trade allegedly. To scan or, allegedly yeah he's getting sued what's he care about uh us he's getting sued for millions yeah um yeah, I used to do some gangster shit to that guy. I mean, I could get into it. <laughs> please, so like, please. <laughs> I always say this, and I have no problem saying it openly, that every breath of air that that guy breathes since 2014 is a gift from me. Okay? And I don't mean that as a euphemism. I mean that like real talk. So, Jesus Christ. I think we're, we're going to be friends. We're like two minutes in. guys i told you it's gonna be a fun show right so you know back in 2014 like i had alerted a stock at double zero four all right and the thing went up to 45 cents in a three-month period had a ten thousand percent gain so like i was making 
people millionaires from this. I mean, I made the number one Call of Duty player in the world a million bucks just off of this. Um, awesome. And it's kind of crazy because so, I, I feel like a lot of gamers are getting involved now. I mean, so yeah, I just yeah. had a FaZe Clan follower yeah. follow me 10 minutes ago. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and then like Tim Sykes and that whole crowd was, you know, kind of going after me to try like Tim Sykes, like, you know, I'm in men's. So like, if, I don't know if you guys ever saw it, but I'm, I was in men's journal in 2014 um, about pot stocks and uh, like for like Rolling Stone calls me and they're like, I want to do, um, you know, we want to interview you. And I was like, I, I thought it was bullshit. And the guy that was writing the story was following all this chatter. And Tim Sykes is just like going after me, going after me, going after me. And, um, you know, like I got a bunch of people into this stock, uh, you know, like just friends and, you know, like I live in, I live in Miami, I'm living in Miami at the time. It's got a lot of unsavory characters, you know? Um, and th- like, you know, look, I, I don't have any issue saying it. Like I got friends that are straight up gangsters <laughs> and one of my friends, or I should say acquaintance oh, yeah. <laughs> was like, you're one of your he's gang. Like, no. He's like, I live in the same building as this guy. He's like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to thump him. I'm like, what do you mean you're going to thump him? He's like, I'm, he's like, he goes to Dunkin' Donuts every day. He's like, he's driving <laughs> like that beat up Lamborghini. He's like, I'm just going to, you know, like fuck the guy up. And I was like, dude, I'm like, you can't. He's like, why can't I? He's like, why can't I? He's like, look at what he's doing. He's like, he just cost me a hundred grand, like doing all this shit. And I'm like, dude. Cause you literally just told me you're going to fuck this guy up. And I'm like, and I know you're not going to just like slap the kid around. So I'm like, please don't. I'm like, because then you're putting me, you know, into a bind and he, he let it go. And the crazy thing is, and then Sykes is just like being an absolute cock to me. And I'm like, I can't, oh, I can't. Man, how do you, I could, I wouldn't be able to handle that. Dude, my, 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 wife, bitch. my wife is like, if you ever see him, she's like, you have my full permission. Like you can drive your car into whatever crappy, you know, <laughs> he's driving um, or punch him in the face. She's like, I'll bail you out. She's like, that's the only person in this world because he was such a douche. Dude, um, his, his like TV shows where he goes on the yachts. I think that, Oh, below deck. Uh, oh, that was, Oh his, yeah. He like gives the guy like five grand, like oh, nothing. Oh, the sick. captain when when we were getting into it with Tim Sykes, the captain uh, DM'd me on Twitter and was like, "That guy is such a prick." Um, he's like, "I had to sign papers that said that I couldn't, you know, um, say anything about him after the fact." He's like, "The producers just knew how much of a dick he was." Um, he was like, "I wanted to, I wanted to break all codes, but it, it would cost." Well, me you're breaking more. his NDA right now, so. Um... Yeah, <laughs> no, no, he's fine. He's fine. <laughs> I'll pay for it. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, um, he, yeah. He like that guy's just you know. I look, guys. It's like this. You can't trust a guy that his profile picture is from like 2005. Like, yo, Tim, it's 2021. You don't need to put that like bullshit. Tra- I've never even heard of Trader Magazine. Oh, look at this guy. You know, <laughs> like he doesn't look like that. You know, like I, one time Tim sent me, and you know, like when this men's journal thing came out, he, uh, you know, he's like, you know, we had to take, cause he, he, he basically snaked his way into an article with me and, um, 
and then like made it seem like, oh, he was uh, just said a bunch of things which he didn't say. And I was just like, all right, I'm not fucking I'm not engaging with this with this dummy. And then like one time we were just beefing on Twitter and I was like, I called him like <laughs> I called him a petter ass. And he's like, yo, can you take that down? Jeez. <laughs> no. so, oh, I can't. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I also, I also fucked with him too, though. You know, like, cause yeah, it's not. I'm kind of like with some of you guys, like, you know, uh, one of the tools that I would do is I would pay for somebody to go into one of their rooms and see what they're shorting, and then just spike it on them on Twitter and just like candle like that, and then everybody just starts going nuts. You know? Um, you know yeah, we, we are. We are kind of a little too. I want to say a little passive, maybe too passive. We don't really go for just fucking people. And a lot of people that even talk shit to us, it, it's not too many shorts. Well, unless they're like bigger guys, uh, the, a lot of the hedge funds, like the, the care. It's weird whenever hedge funds are talking to like fake 90s TV characters. Like that's, yeah. that's weird, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, like, the the one thing like anonymity is great you know like once a ceo of a company like outed me it was just kind of like game over um <clears throat> so like hold on to that anonymity but also be very careful uh because you know it, it's like it's like warren buffett says if a, if a cop follows you for 500 miles he's going to get you for something and um i don't think like younger guys know what the penalties are and, you know, ignorance is uh, not an excuse, you know, so you got to be very, it's think of it this way. You make a hundred grand from a trade. And if let's say you alert something and you're selling into that alert, you're going to get fined and then you're going to get a six X penalty on whatever you made and they'll go back. Like, oh shit. I'm like, I'm going to like erase it. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh. So like, so like, you know, if I tweet something, um, like I'm usually not a seller unless I'm saying like I'm selling, you know, you can't just be like, Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to tell, like I took that approach, like, all right, I'm never going to tell people when, um, when I sell, like it's up to you. And then I got a call and I was like shitting my pants, like just making sure I knew the rules. Like, yeah, I, uh, I, I just don't. I'm like, okay, I'm a. I'll just tag along with other people. I'm never even. I like hardly ever make calls. I'm like, whoo, this one's doing good, but I'm never like, fuck. Yeah, never. I'm never calling shit. Um, so I guess going along with the whole Twitter thing, was that whole Tim Sykes beef during like the Twitter age? I, I assume you got in Twitter pretty early. Um, <clears throat> no, I mean, you know, it, it it was really just that time. You know, like uh, I started. Yeah, I started um, like just trading really and, and not even trading. I was just, in, I was investing long-term, you know, in like mid 2013. Um, and, you know, I, I started with like 1500 bucks, kind of like everybody. And then I, you know, when I started trading pot socks, it was 13 of them. Now there's like 300. Um, and I really gravitated to that area because of the volatility and, and mainly the irrational exuberance and the animal spirits of the market. You know, it's like charts out the window. Um, and, the, and, you know, being that I had already come on as like a sentiment and psychological investor, um, cannabis was like perfect for me just because 
of, you know, the craziness that went on, but, um, yeah, I mean, that era was, uh, was, was definitely nuts. It was like really easy money, but I also didn't understand, um, that, you know, any fool could make money and it's really hard to, to keep it, you know, after the fact. Um, so do you feel like we're kind of seeing the same kind of thing now or on a much larger scale or smaller scale? Yeah. Look, people are going to get destroyed, you know, yeah. you know, and, and that's fine. Like yeah. I get it. You know, like I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't do as well as I, I, I do if it wasn't built off of like the blood bones and tears of the retail investor that just doesn't know better. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's not like, me selling into them. That's like them panicking and creating a dip that I'm going to buy or, or whatever, or just them not understanding like value. Um, like everybody's like, like today for instance, like, Oh, look at till Ray, you know, don't get in front of that. And I'm like, I'm buying puts, you know, I pulled 36% and they were expensive. They were like 900 bucks a contract. Mm -hmm. Um, and like my whole thing is if I see a hundred dollars on the ground, I'm just going to pick it up. And I just do that, you know, and then yeah. you, one, you, one thing we always mention is how, like, whenever the sentiment's all on one side is a lot of the times when it switches. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, and, and new invest, like, you know, the, the best piece of advice I could give your, your, the new people that are coming up and watching this, it's, you know, take part of your profits and invest them into companies that you want to be long. And, you know, over the, the long term, like companies, you know, are going to be around in five, 10 years, you know, as a way, not so much to for like the money and, and like the buzz of, of getting into this, um, but more so you don't do stupid shit with your money, like decide like one day, hey, I'm going to jump into Tesla calls, you know, because I, I just made I just made a killing yesterday. You know, it's like, think about the thing that people need to realize is the biggest threat to your account is you, you know, so you got to remove the bullets from your gun that are going to shoot you in the nuts, you know, maybe not today, but tomorrow or next week. Yeah. I think one thing, whenever people like take these gains and they, they get a good win, they're like, where do I put them? They feel like they immediately need them, but it's always good to have like, you know, bullets in the chamber per se. Uh, and letting the, we always talk about just waiting to let the plate come to you. So it's nice to have someone preach about like the same stuff because we always just risk management is the number one thing because I mean, you're, you're your own worst enemy in this game. Yeah. A hundred percent, you know? So like the model that I use is like when I trade options, 50% of the profit from the options goes directly into stocks. I want to be long but don't want to necessarily be long with my money. So this is a lot of reopening trades, companies with good balance sheets, Budweiser, you know, st- easy stories to understand. Um, 25% comes out and goes into my account, into my bank account. I pay myself three times a week um, without fail, good week, bad week, whatever, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, and then the other 25% is to, you know, to, you know, grow new trades and put new trades on and it works, you know, and and as, as somebody that's done this for a while, um, you know, ever since I really adopted this strategy, I'm like kicking myself, like, why didn't I do this sooner? Because my account is just like really swollen um, since I adopted this strategy. A lot of, a lot of newer traders, like whenever they're going full time and like quitting or, or, 
I guess just going full time in general, they don't know when to take out profits. And I think I think towards the beginning, it's really smart to just be super frugal and treat yourself like you're the CEO of a company. The less you pay yourself, the bigger your company can grow. Like with yeah. compounding. You got to treat it. I always tell people it's like, think of it as you owning a pizzeria, you know, and like, you're not going to make a million bucks selling a pie. You know, you're going to make it by doing like dollar slices, your volume business. So your whole thing is, you know, even if you're, if it's little profits, as long as it's not big losses, your account's going to grow. And especially early on, you need to get into that rhythm and get that like muscle memory of trading. Um, You know, and I'd start people like, start with 50 bucks a day, 75, 100. If you could do that two weeks at a time, by the time you get to like 200 bucks a day, like you get it, you know? And then it's a straight shot. Then it becomes really easy, you know? Yeah, I I think that, I mean, that's basically the main thing. One of the biggest things for me is whenever I got to around just 40,000 in my account, I was thinking to myself, if I can just do 1% a day, I can, I don't need a job, $400 a day. And then that 1% a day, is just so much more. My my fifty percent a day when I started is now like way less than my one percent now. It's crazy. Yeah. So I mean, it's all about compounding. Yeah, look at it like this. Um, to your point, like four hundred dollars a day, like making an extra hundred bucks, and you're at five hundred. Five hundred bucks a day is like having three million in the bank and collecting like a decent amount of interest on it. You know. And and one per, if you could do one percent a day in your portfolio, at the end of the year, it ends up being like three hundred and fifty percent because of compounded interest. Well, I'm not sure what happened to Hugh, but we will go on. Um, going into the weed sector, I guess kind of you, you mentioned you kind of really started in it in 2014, where there were only three. I don't know if they were OTC or on the market Everything. or what. Yeah, everything everything was an OTC company. Yeah. The only company that wasn't an OTC company that I was long was GW Pharma at thirty two dollars. Uh, okay, so that that's crazy. I can't imagine. That's we're, we're the I guess the commissions were about the same regardless on them back then, huh? Yeah, it was like yeah. I I had Scott trade. It was seven ninety five a trade. <laughs> Well, then you kind of transitioned to 2017 where it seemed like weed got super hot in Bitcoin and then it almost had a stigma or stigma of a used car salesman. You know, I lost all my money investing in crypto and weed. Yeah. Uh, and could you kind of take us through like the 2014 to 2017, the growth yeah, yeah, yeah. of it and then the dying out? Yeah. So 2014. So like Colorado goes legal in 2014, right? Um like I started investing in weed in August of 2013. So like, you know, I had stocks that were four cents. And then by um, January of 2014, they were like 40 cents. So like thousand percent gain, um, you know, between January 1st and um, April 1st, my account did 6,300% overall. Okay. From, you know, which was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm think I think about it like I gotta remember. Not every market was 2020 coronavirus crazy. I'm like that is so funny. Yeah, like funny. so you know people. <laughs> it's funny because people throw around the term unicorn. Well, I coined the term unicorn back then. <laughs> you know, I mean, this was a crazy time where, um, like, I had to be very careful because I would just like one time somebody asked me a question about a stock. And I was like, uh, I don't know. Let me put it out there on Twitter. And I put the question out and the stock goes up 100%. Like it, it was uh, it was nuts like that. Um, so, 
Yeah. And then in 2004 and then in April, 2014, the bubble burst and it was really dead until late 2016 going into the election. And then, you know, I had like a year after getting in, I bought marijuanastocks.com with two other people. And um, just because it was just an information vacuum and we turned it into like this IR portal in 2016, we, we saw what was happening in Canada. So we switched our model to working with us companies to working strictly with Canadian companies. And around this time, like I bought Aurora um, at like 90 cents or 89 cents. Um, like I bought Kronos at 60 cents. Um, like I was in canopy at $4 um, to give you an idea. And then it started, and then the election happened, and then things just started really cooking. Now I'm doing private placements, so I'm getting into these companies early. And from basically 2016 um, to October of 2018, um, it was just mayhem. And these things traded on such a schedule. So, like, I turned, I invested 20 grand in Aurora. Okay. Yeah. And just because seeing what was that the leader of the pack back then? I'm sorry. Was that kind of the leader of the weed pack back then? The yeah, the it was the, it, it was the darling, right? Okay. You know, it was like them and canopy. And um, you know, so I invested like 20 grand and four months later it was like three bucks. So I buy it at 89 cents, I sell it at three bucks, so I, I make 60 grand on it. I'm like, this is awesome. And because of what I saw in 2015 and 2014 going into March and April, you know, like I just made it a point to just get out and then trade um, and then get back in the summer. So I did that. It Aurora pulls back to a dollar. So instead of buying 20,000 shares, now I'm buying 60,000 shares. Then it goes from a dollar to 10. I do the same thing. And then in the following year, it goes down to five. I rebuy five. So I end up turning a position, like if I had just bought, like was buying and holding, you know, because my final exit was 12, 1229, right? So if I just bought and hold like that original 89 cents, I would have made 240, which is great. But the way that I did it using the range, I made 1.2 million, you know? And now yeah. I did this with everything. I did this with Canopy. I did this with Kronos. Um, I was, you know, I was doing it with private placements. I mean, it was insane. And in October of 2018, I was like top, you know, this is right before Canada goes legal. And I'm like, the money is going to go to the U S companies. And then I, I exited 80%, um, traded up until March of, uh, 2019 and March 5th, 2019, I said, look, you know, beware of the Ides of March. Um, like I'm out of all my pot stocks. So now I'm out and now I'm short Kronos, Aurora and the MJ ETF. And everybody's like, Wolf, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. I was going to ask if you shorted it on the way down. They're like, you're so stupid. You know, I I love Twitter because you have Twitter receipts like, Hey, look at this. Um, So, but everybody was like, you're an idiot, blah, blah, blah. And my whole thing was, I'll just get back in in the summer. Um, And then it was like scandal. Bruce Linton gets fired, market goes down 60%. And now I'm like, man, I've got a lot of bias. Like I could come into this market now and pretty much buy everything that I had before in October, I could buy it four times, you know? Yeah. So it's like, basically I'm going in with almost no risk. Um, 
So I was like, you know what? I, I need a second opinion. So I hired a quantitative analyst um, to give me a view on a couple of companies and give me the state of the market in Canada versus the United States. And this is September of 2019. How'd you get the idea to get a quantitative and like analyst? Like, where did that come from? That seems like. Yeah. When you're rich, you, when you're rich, you just get these great ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, like, you, you know, you, you talk to, um, you, you know, like my whole thing is like, be, be the dumbest person in the room. That way you're surrounded by geniuses. Um, coming up in this space um, and sitting at the table with people. And also, like, I talk to quants all the time because sometimes they call me and they're like, well, what do you know about this company? Like, you know, like, this, like to give you an example, a quant, the same quant was asking me about MedMen. He's like, what do you think? And now I had got him into the space investing in private placements and he had made a ton of money. Now he runs like a $200 million fund that does REITs in the space. And, um, and I'm like, no, you need to stay away from MedMen. This is when MedMen's like four bucks. MedMen went down to 15 cents. So wow. it was just kind of like he knew foot traffic. He knew all these stats. And I was like, dude, I don't care. I'm like, I don't care if you're just cutting and pasting. Just give me like a high level. It cost me 10 grand to not come back into the space. And the space ended up dropping another 30%. I didn't get back into cannabis until July of 2020. Uh, I guess kind of that's perfect for transitioning into now because it's had such a wild run because I guess in that 2020, you you said what of 2020? July 22nd, I bought back in. Uh, I knew knew it for the day because I bought... Terrasend at 286. I bought Harvest at 96 cents. I bought Cure Leaf at um, seven dollars. I bought um, Cresco Labs at five. Uh, I bought Tricome at 90 cents. Um, Green Thumb at 12, uh, and then a couple of others. Oh, Power Reit at eight dollars seventy cents. IIPR at fifty dollars. Um, Constellation brands at 127. Um, I actually bought Constellation, IIPR, and Power Reap actually before, but and most I, of those have 15x. Uh, IIPR I sold at 147. Um, it's 200 and something now. Constellation brands is over 200. Um, Power Reap hit 41. I'm out now. Terrasend is at 16 bucks. Cure Leaf is at 18. Um, Green Thumb, uh, 38. True Leaf is at 50. Uh, you know, there isn't, and, and at the same time, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm managing the trade. So mm-hmm. I'm using the range to give myself insurance. So to give you an idea, like I picked up 5,000 free shares of Cure Leaf, um, in this process of just buying and selling. So I'm actually getting paid to be long the market. So, and I don't have to put any new money, you know, like today, yeah. you know, I'm like, guys, this market's going to pull back. I'm like, Canopy's going to pull back till Ray's going to pull back. It's going to pull the MSOs. It pulled the MSOs a dollar. I sold the top and then I bought the dip and now everything's ripping. So are you trading around the core or are you just, I trade around the core. So is your core like, um, cause I know my core is, I only trade about a third. Um, I trade less. Okay. Okay. So you trade less. So, so, so it, to put it in perspective for the viewers, it's kind of like, 
you know, let's say that your portfolio is a hundred million, you're trading like 10 million, but that 10 million over time, as you're, as you're reinvesting the profits at the top and buying at the bottom of the range, you're just accumulating more and more shares at the, at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. So I I do it two ways, right? So like before this GameStop stuff, um, Cureleaf went to 1650. Mm -hmm. So to give you an idea, I sold 2000 shares at 1650 um, and then getting back in and I sold some at 16. So I, I had an idea of like how much I can, you know, reload. So instead of buying it, you know, and then all of a sudden it drops to 16. Well, that's, that'd be a great dip to buy, but instead of buying 2000, I buy 500 and then it goes to 1550. I buy another 500 and then down. And so like, I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm rooting for it to go down. Um, and then when this GameStop fiasco happened, I'm like, this thing's going to go lower because everybody's going to have to sell all these stocks. Yeah. And, you know, so it gave me a dip to 13. Then I reload heavy and then I use the excess money from those trades to add to my position, you know? So like today, um, I didn't trade much Terrace but I got a hundred free shares out of it, you know? That's an and, awesome way of looking at that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, like I talked to, like um, I did a a, pie, uh, a podcast with uh, Guy Adame and, and Tim Seymour um, from you mm-hmm. know uh, Fast Money, and I was just kind of like going over the strategy, and they're like, "It's like it's a great strategy. It's like an option strategy." And I yeah. I do the same thing. My whole thing is I want to be able to be long and be comfortable because of the size of my position. Like I don't want to be you know shitting myself because it dropped a dollar and I'm down a hundred grand. You know, I'm like, yeah. oh, because like then you start second guessing yourself. But to put it in perspective, in order for me to lose money on Cureleaf, it would have to go below two dollars. You know, yeah. so all of my positions are like that. So basically, I'm just playing with free money, free money, you know, and this is the same thing I do with my options. Like my option strategy is just crazy. Um, and I learned it by trading pot stocks. Yeah, touching on your options, are you trading outright? calls and puts or are you doing more of a spread or no or i'm just, just doing I, i'm not yeah. doing calls and puts um you know i one time i messed up yeah. and i uh, i sold puts um which ended up being a like a win but yeah. for a day i was shitting my pants yeah. so i'm like all right you know i'm over i'm over that now just you know uh buys and sells and I, I post them on twitter like you know, I'm in an MSOS um, $42 call that expires next week. We got in at $3. It's like, I don't know, 11 bucks right now. You know, okay. so, um, yeah. And I trade other things. You know, people people think they're like, oh, you just trade pot. Like, no, like I didn't trade pot for a year and a half. What do you think I was doing? Like just <laughs> sitting in my backyard smoking. Beer. Yeah, that, I think that's kind of what I, what I was wondering about. It's kind of like... What you did, I know you said you shorted it, but I imagine you didn't just short it all the way down. And you, uh, I know it's one of your big things, I know we touched on risk management earlier, but uh, just not getting greedy is one thing, like how yeah, hogs get exactly. slaughtered. Uh, with the, I mean, you, you'll take 33% on options when a lot of people are like, this yeah, is thousands. Wants a, you know? Everybody wants a home run, right? Yeah. And you know, it's like, the, every time you go for a home run, like you're gonna whiff, you're gonna whiff a bunch. And think about all the money you could have had if you just took these little wins, 
like 30% is a lot. I always look at it as like, if I had my money with like Peter Lynch and Magellan, mm-hmm. like I'm making 20%. If I can beat that, yeah, you know, that's as long as I make more than 0.3%, like from a savings yeah. account, like I don't give a shit, you yeah. know, like right. it, that's what new traders need to, to realize. Like the whole thing is not having losses. Like I stopped trading like high volatility options um, because like I found like on Monday, Tuesday, I would absolutely crush it. And then the rest of the week, I just spend my time giving it back, Yeah, you know? And then when I moved to like lower volatility options and really some boring shit, um, like the payouts weren't as big, but I wasn't losing, Yeah, you know? So your win ratio was higher. Yeah. I mean, my win ratio, like it's not even worth mentioning because you'd think that I was, uh, it was, it was bullshit. Mention it. Me- come on. I mean, so we track it. So, you know, yeah. I, I have a room and we track, we've been tracking the trade since July 16th and my trades are at um, 95%. I think I have 900 and something wins and then 43 losses. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so, so touching on your risk management, um, because it sounds mm-hmm. like at this point you've created such, you know, I mean, you've been able to kind of call the top and call the bottom m- multiple times now. Let's say that we do get to, do you have a risk management strategy so so that, you know, if it's not the top or let's say for instance, in July, it wasn't bottom. Was your kind of risk management just going to be to buy more or was it going to be more of a, I'm not wrong? Well, I, I knew I wasn't wrong. Okay. And, um, you know, I've definitely done, you know, there, I got receipts and videos from well, well before I even got in, you know, like in June, uh, where I did podcasts and stuff and just kind of told everybody what I was thinking. Um, but my strategy was always like, when I get in, right, I'm going to be able to buy and sell the way that I, you know, we just talked about. Yeah. So my, you know, every day I'm putting more and more space between break even, right. So like for new people getting in, if you're using the range, you know, say, say you're getting Cura Leaf at 17 bucks today, right now it's 1720. Okay. Say you get it at 1720, you buy 2000 shares. Okay. It goes to 18. You sell a thousand shares, right? Yeah. So your average is 1720. You sell a thousand shares. All right. You, you just made 800 bucks on that thousand. You've got another thousand sitting. Well, let's say then it drops down to 17, right? Well, then you reload that thousand. Well, what's your average? Is it 1720? You know, is it 1710? I mean, it's going to show 1710. No, your real average is going to be 1650 because you just yeah, got I a think, dollar's I think worth of insurance. Thing is, is because a lot of people always talk about their average. Oh, I don't want to sell here because it'll mess up my, or I don't want to add here because it'll mess up my average. And it's like, well, if you sold, 10 cents higher and you're adding down here, it, fuck your average. I always say like, who cares about your average? Yeah. Because right. I mean, what it shows isn't really it. Yeah. My average right now on Cureleaf, I'll say it, it says 1466. Like, I, know that <laughs> I know that shit's not real. Okay. Okay. But, <laughs> but playing, playing devil's advocate here. Okay. Okay. Playing devil's advocate here. Okay you're now experienced, you now know how to, you, you know, you're comfortable trading around the core, but for someone who's, you know, let's say that they're trading Amazon. 
Okay. They're not going to, you know, if I start trading Amazon today and I trade, you know, if I go, well, let's, let's call my, my max position right now. And then tomorrow, you know, I'm not going to know the range yet. You know, the range to, to, you know, the range probably, you know, I don't want to say perfectly, but you know, I mean, perfectly. Uh, okay. All right. All right. We can use perfectly. Say it, say it. Yeah. We can use perfectly. So, so, you know, you're comfortable enough inside your range and your core position, but for, for someone, you know, let's say someone even, even, you know, uh, you know, I, I used to work at a fund, even for some of the guys that used to work at the fund, they couldn't trade around a core position. They, they would fuck up their average almost immediately um, because they didn't understand the range. So if you don't understand the range, can you really trade around the core that well? Um, well, I mean, you're going to get into stocks where you don't know the range unless you've mm-hmm. been, unless you've been stalking them yeah. um, for a little while and yeah. then you're, you're, you're not participating, but you're, you're watching. Yeah. Um, yeah. And look, that's, that's the leap that you have to take, but also the reason I'm confident going into these and then trading the range and doing what I'm doing is because there's a fundamental purpose for me to be long. Right. Yeah. You know, there's a reason for me to get back into pot stocks in July. Um, There's a reason for me to buy every dip that I see. You know, one, I'm not trading dog shit companies. I'm trading companies. That's our job. (laughs) There you go. Somebody's (laughs) got to do it. Right. But you guys will always, I mean, like you guys are going to start or you guys are already doing. Don't bullshit me. I know you guys have got some good companies too. Hey, you, so, you guys, you guys so, will grow up soon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how old, about this, how old are you? Twenty six. Twenty two. Fuck you guys. You guys still have metabolisms. <laughs> you know, like I eat a fucking like I'm fucking married. It's fucking in your twenties, man. Fucking jealous. Do you jealous. do you want to start like any like weed company or are you just the the weed stock guy? Dude, I you know the crazy thing is is I own I have investments throughout the space. Like you basically oh, yeah. oh so you're you're rich. You're rich. I mean, so like rich I, rich. I own like edibles companies, I own like a percentages in, in funds. I own parts of collectives that have like 15 licenses. You know, I'm a founder of a magic mushroom company. Um, you know, like I own some fucking crazy shit. Um, so, uh, any, any city I go to, if I need to get a dispensary, I can, I can just say, yo, I know Jason. Dude, like, just say you're my cousin. Say you're my cousin. <laughs> I swear to God. Say you're my cousin. All right. I'll give it a shot. Like, Yo, I've never that, even I've never even smoked weed, but this is making me want to smoke weed. Yeah, I, like, I'm a, I'm an advocate, so yeah. I mean, yeah, okay. like, just say you're my cousin. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> so touching on, you know, we were talking about the range a lot. Where are we now on the range on the broad spectrum of pot stocks? You know, obviously Biden just got into office. Um, you know, he's a huge, or you know, the administration is a huge candidate. Um, to legalize marijuana federally. Is this just the beginning for yeah. the sector or are, or are we really starting to look for, like, so you touched on the pullback. Is the is it a pullback to launch or is it a pullback to dwindle down? Um, there's going to be a pullback. And, and, yeah. and like I tell everybody, um, you know, because 
every couple of months, I talk a bunch of people off the ledge. <laughs> and then I tell them, I'm like, look, in two months, you're going to be talking to the next group of people and you're going to be talking them off the ledge because yeah. it happened in August. It happened in October, like October 28th. Um, and then it just happened recently after this GameStop thing. And every time, you know, I, I always say BTDYP, you know, like buy the dip, you pussy. Like these are viable, <laughs> these are viable dips. So you got to look at it like this. So one of my friends was like, ah, you know, this market's really hot. I'm going to just, and this is when all this shit was going on GameStop. He's like, I- I'm just going to get out of like pot stocks. He's like, I'm killing it. He's like, they're dipping. He's like, I don't care if I miss the top. And I was like, dude, I was like, one, you're going to miss the middle. If anything, yeah. you're not going to miss the top. And I was like, why? I was like, you know, like I'm the fucking guy, you know, like I'm fucking Wu-Tang financial. Um <laughs> Like you get, you like, trust me. And so this is what I'd say, right? Everybody's watching the Canadian companies rip, right? And let's talk about multiples here. So my biggest position is Curly, not because I necessarily think that they are the end all be all, which they are, but it's a slower moving stock. So it gives me time to dump profit from other trades into it and then play with the range a lot more. So Curly and Canopy, that's what we're going to compare. Canopy, I don't even know what the price is, like 50 bucks, okay? That multiple is like 22, all right? They did this quarter, um, they lost $2.43 a share, like uh, minus 35 cents EPS or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, their revenue went up 23%, like great, right? Their margin was still minus, I don't know. It was, last quarter was minus 66% to give you an idea. Oh, minus 23%, sorry. They did 100, and I'm going to use last quarter because cure leaves aren't out, but it's going to be similar. Um, they did $105 million less than cure leaf in revenue. <clears throat> okay. Cureleaf trades at a multiple of six, six. Okay. They have a gross margin of 66% positive. They planting flags all over the United States. They're going to be the biggest beneficiaries of New Jersey and New York. When it happens, they have a big, uh, um, position in Florida. But the thing that everybody misses, okay. A couple of things actually, Fucking population in Canada is 34 million. California has more people. Okay. Colorado has a population of 4 million people, 4.4 million people. They did $1.9 billion in cannabis revenue last year. That's more than all of Canada. Canada does not have their shit together. And everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, once it legalizes, Canopy is just going to come here. Well, why do you think there's no fucking U.S. companies in Canada? And do you think that we're just going to be like, yeah, Canopy, come on down. Come on down. Yeah, like there, there's plenty to go around. I mean, there is, but I think we're going to be a little bit of protectionist here. But at the end of the day, it comes down to addressable market. Yeah. Okay. The U.S. has 10 times the population of Canada. Canopy has like also recorded a loss of like 800 million in write downs and shit. 
their CEO says, oh, they expect to be profitable in 2022. That shit was supposed to happen in 2018. All right. So you see, there is a huge disconnect. You know, like Tim Seymour called me this morning. And the first thing out of his mouth is like, what the F is going on? I'm like, dude, it's the multiple. But the thing that we agree on is there's going to be equilibrium. The only reason Canopy is trading where it's trading in AFRI and Tilray is because institutions and hedge funds can't buy the US MSOs. I mean, you know, working at a fund, they're not going to let you buy OTC companies. No. You know, these are dual listed. Yeah. So what happens, you know, because look, retail investors are idiots. You know, pot stock investors are probably some of the fucking dumbest people in the world. <laughs> you know, not my followers, but most of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so at some point that multiple flips, you know, mm-hmm. so you got canopy up here, cure leaf down here. It's, it's going to go like this, or at least it gets here. I mean, look, Tilray in Africa, there's a 50% arbitrage there. Like which, what happens first? Does Africa come up or does Tilray go down? Tilray is dog shit, dog shit, <laughs> you know, like sundial. Dog shit. Yeah, I was just gonna say SNDL was trending is trending on Twitter right now, or at least it was an hour ago. Yeah, I, I saw, you know, and, and like I said, I'm like, yo, make money. Like I don't care, yeah. but just understand, like, you're playing musical chairs at this point. Except the musical chairs, you gotta stick a dynamite under you. Okay. You know? Yeah. So okay, so question. Does that mean that if you think the company's dog shit? I know you talked about buying puts and that you like shorting some of the um, in, you know, some of the bigger bullshit names like, you know, Tilray and stuff like that. Do you think that what we'll see is, I know you talked about equilibrium and stuff like that. Do you think that we'll see companies like Sundial and Tilray really just go, you know, completely obsolete and that it'll just become more of a conglomerate between, you know, the bigger players? Or do you think yeah. that, because I know that, you know, obviously the weed market's a huge market, Um but, you know, would you play the upside? You know, I'm, I'm going to assume that after the pullback, there will be some upside inside the shit names or you just stay away from those. Um, no, I'll, I'll definitely trade them, but yeah. I'm not I'm not being greedy. I'm not like okay. I'm going to buy this for a dollar and I need two dollars. Like, okay. like I'm happy if I get 30 cents, you know, okay. um, because I'm not going to sweat it because you can be in any one of those names and just they do an offering. And, and that's what's yeah. going to happen. Um, you know, look, Sundial's crap, but you can make money on the crap. You know, like I understand that I, I definitely have a bias against Canada and yeah. rightly so. But I'm yeah. also self-aware and, you know, I'm not going to let that bias get in the way of me making money. You know, like I, gonna, I wanted to short till Ray three yeah. days ago. And if I did, and you know, like I said to people, I'm like, yo, if you shorted here, you're right, but the market can remain stupid and you don't go against the high. Yeah. So, you know, like I'm not going to let it get in the way of my trade, but at the same time, I'm also like, you know, these things are getting too high where okay. I'm like, okay, now that it's making the the risk on a put um, less and less. And I, yeah. and I think I can get paid because, you know, the psychology of the market is going to dictate, look, people are going to take profit and everybody has a really short attention span in this market. So they yeah. move from one thing to the next, you know, like I went, you know, 
I had uh, I went short GameStop two fifty um, last week with puts. So I went ninety five dollar March fifth puts, and I knew like how dangerous it was. And those contracts were like thirty one hundred bucks for one contract. Yeah, they were super day. expensive. But everybody was talking about silver. I was seeing press releases like, "Is this the next Wall Street bets thing?" It was like AMC. NAKD, Nokia, BlackBerry, all the shit. And I'm like, and I saw the same thing in 2014 with the pot stocks. And I'm like, you've got to focus your attention on one name. You can't be spread out amongst three different names, you know, because the only reason it's doing what it's doing is because everybody is keeping the pressure. And once Melbourne Capital covered, I'm like, yo, all these people are playing against each other. Yeah. You know? So, uh and then one of the last questions and then Dan, if you have anything else and then we can wrap it up, but with the outside puts, you know, something, some of these weed names and even like GME, you know, you were talking about that the, that the put itself was 3,100 at contract. Um, you know, we were seeing vol that was incredible. I think I saw some vol over a thousand of contracts. Um, you know, I'm looking at the Tilray puts right now. I'm looking at the March 12s. Um, you didn't mention which ones you had, but I mean, the, the vol on them is, I mean, I'm looking at 300% for a month out. Do you, does that play into any of your strategy or is it this point it's like, you know, Tilray is overvalued. So I'm going to buy a put, that's my max loss. Um, and that's kind of how you go about it. No, you, you, I mean, you, you definitely have to manage it because you know that yeah. you're paying premium. So the first thing you do is you take the first move in the direction that you're gunning for. So like yeah. I had the March 19, $50 put. Okay. And I got in it at nine ten a contract. Um, so 910 bucks per contract. And I sold my first yeah. one at uh, 1140 or I sold, I sold two thirds of them at uh, 1130. Wow. Okay. Just to just to kind of like because it's still an expensive contract, and I know because the the nature of like when there's this much premium in it, they want to chop as much premium off. Yeah. Right. So I'm like that first move is when you're going to get paid the most. Same thing. Like if you buy like contracts at nine thirty, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get your your best payout between nine thirty and ten. The rest of the day it's just bleeding out. So your strategy with that is like you know say. So I didn't get many. I got 10 contracts and I was like happy getting rid of seven and then just peeling off the rest. Okay. Um, but, you, you know, like you, you take the bulk profit that way yeah. you can keep the remainder and stay long. Yeah. You know, no, that definitely makes sense. So with these like Tilray and stuff, you, we talked about the hot market. Will you go short Tilray? Cause it, it's sitting at 59 right now. Um, will you go short Tilray or it's just the put and or, or the three contracts that you have left and, and it's more about being risk adverse. Oh no, I'm, I'm out now, but oh, now, you're out you're, now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that you're talking to me, I mean, I made 36% on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And with the, you know, with the premium and the, I mean, I'm looking at the ball on those, those were 335 on the, and I, I mean, that's that, yeah, that's expensive. Um, and let me look at them now. I'll tell you. So, yeah, so check this out. Or this is where I bought them. Like this okay. price is where I bought them at 59 and a half. Okay. Now the contract is 735 by 775. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm looking at. Yeah. 
Okay. Wow. That's yeah. That's crazy. That's what we were seeing with um, GME too. We yeah. Had a lot so of people, like, yeah. I would feel comfortable rebuying this here. Yeah. Um, because honestly, I'm going into it with five dollars of insurance. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. That's awesome. I really like the way that um you trade around the corner because for me especially, I know Dan. 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 Dan actually trades around the corner. Um, that's his entire strategy. But for me. I'm completely, um, you know, I swing stuff for six weeks is kind of like my, uh, my like, you know, key area is like six weeks out. Um, you know, and that's, <laughs> and that's, uh, you know, so, so it's interesting to see you, you know, to see a different perspective on that. You know, I try and, you know, I take off like half once it hits my price target. Um, but it's really interesting to hear, you know, trading yeah, you know, w- with options, your whole thing is take profit, get, it can run. And, um, Take profit with the anticipation that you're going to get back in. And then like, so now, like I might go a, another week out. So I would go February 24th and maybe pay the same price yeah. as where I exited, you know? So yeah, it's less is- risk, more time. Um, and I'm already going in having like a bunch of profit to like keep me cool, you know? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. All right. Well, to wrap up, before I just give you the floor for anything you want to promote, any like self-help, self-help book you may have coming out or autobiography, uh, any any other crazy story? I know that the Tim Sykes one almost came out of nowhere and, and that one was wild in itself. It looks like you're like pulling out a notepad. Let's see which one's a podcast acceptable. Jason, it's supreme. Give me a call. I'm going to invest in some penny stocks <laughs> and medical marijuana. Advice from you direction. 818. Hey, did you catch that? Who, who was that at the very beginning? I heard Wu-Tang. Oh, it's, it's you got from Wu-Tang. Holy shit. That's crazy. Right, you know, better. so like the Iron Cheek. And I'm like, man, is this a top? So like you guys know, you guys are too young to know who the Iron Cheek is, but like WWF, when I was a kid, he was like one of the big villains, like with Hulk Hogan. You know? Yeah, yeah. A lot of And this guy's, and he's sending me messages like, yo, he's like, um, what do you think about this company? Like he's asking me about pot stocks. <laughs> like you'd be, you'd be shocked at like the people that, that ask me, you know, like, yeah. Like my, one of my best friends is, uh, He's on the show Billions, and I'm like, <laughs> it, it every, is awesome. Just because, like, every I love day, billions. every day, especially with this whole GME and AMC stuff going on, it's like another crazy person will DM you, and you're like, damn, like I got one from Murda Beats, the guy that made the beat to the Kiki. Do you love me? And I'm like, <laughs> holy shit, dude! Like, I, I didn't say I was like, I love that song. But I was like, yeah. what, what do you call yeah, Mia like- Khalifa was trading around the core of Tesla. I was, I was like, I can't believe it. I, I can't believe it. Yeah. I was like, if she's trading around the core, man, I fuck. I, I gotta, you know, I gotta step on my game. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't have. I don't have anything to promote. The only thing that I'll promote is, um, you know, nobody goes broke taking profit. And, you know, especially for you younger guys, you know, it, it's a long game. You want to be able to do this and do it well. Um, and you want to sock up as much cash as possible until 2023 and really have your craft down to a science, whether you're trading options, pot stocks or whatever. Um, because when interest rates go down, market's going to take a shit and it's going to look a lot like, um, 
the market did from 2000 in October of 2018, October 22nd to December 24th. Hey, that's when I got screwed. I was in a, I was in stats class losing my shirt on IGC. India Global. Uh, yeah, yeah, on IGC and uh, yeah. Oh my God, that's the biggest scam company in the world. That yeah. guy, fuck. I lost my net worth on that in uh in, in during that time. Sorry, I was making a trade real quick. Um, all right, man. Well, uh, thank IGC? you so much for having on. Uh, no, 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 we, um, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been a blast. Uh, love hey your Twitter. Everyone make sure you go follow him. Wolf of Weed Street and, uh, take care, dude. Better guys. Thank you. Um, I've been getting a lot of questions on, you know, how we started, how, you know, I started or how I trade, and I'm sure you get them a lot too. Seeing as, you know, you're a 22-year-old multimillionaire and I lived in the swamp just a year ago. So, you know, it's kind of crazy. I mean, we weren't just always rich, handsome, and awesome our whole we life. We were just always handsome yeah. and awesome. Yeah. The 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 money came later. <laughs> but, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of start out and, you know, give my little five-minute story, eight-minute story. Then you can and then... um you know, if we have any questions for each other, yeah. see how well we know each other, we can kind of get it. Okay. <clears throat> so I kind of started um, in 2019, in the middle of it, uh, I was around 24 and I bought a little Bitcoin. It was around $60 worth and I checked it back around three months later and it was now $30 worth. And I was just amused by how I lost 50%. And I was like, wow. I should start investing. So I, um, you know, I bought the Bitcoin on Cash App and I was just going to do the same thing. And I just started, I literally started day trading on Cash App with like the 30 stocks that had available and like partial shares of Amazon. It was ridiculous. It made no sense. And I, I went down the same rabbit hole that all other kind of new traders, you know, go down. I, you know, I downloaded stock twits and I looked up what's Googled what stocks to buy and I found them and they weren't on Cash App. So I had to download Robinhood. After downloading Robinhood, you know, I found the discords and the Twitters and I found Buy Sell Shorts Room and then I found Atlas. And in Buy Sell Shorts Room is actually where I met Hugh. Um, we were talking about GHSI. I actually asked him his price target of GHSI in a private message. That's that was like my introduction. Following that, and here I'll actually get into the whole B why BSS has me blocked. Uh, it, it is like a whole fiasco with Stan in, in there as well. I kind of like rode off and started my own chat room. I'd been trading for about like five months at this point. This is when coronavirus had started. It's like April, May. I've been trading pretty heavily for around five months now. I just got fired from my job for just trading at work and losing money all day and not doing my job. And... uh yeah, so I made my own little room and we were kind of poaching some people and BSS got pissed. Um, and, you know, Stan kind of flipped the whole thing on me. Next thing I know, I'm blocked and, uh, you know, there goes my ties with BSS. But, it, you know, as, as things went on, I kind of made a Twitter account and that's where I kind of started doing the silly skits and everything that, that people kind of know me by now. But uh, yeah, by this time, my account that I initially had put $2,000 in or $4,000 in in around, let's say, October of 2019, 
Uh, by the time March came around and all the markets were halting, I was at $2,000. And I, whenever I got fired from my job, I would drew like a thousand bucks or before I got fired from my job, I would drew a thousand dollars and I was like, okay, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I should stop losing all my money. I literally got fired the next week. So I deposited all that money back. I was like, damn, uh, I need to make money again. So I put all the money in and I just started trading away, trading away. And lucky for me, it was like a really easy market. Uh, let's just put it how, how it is. I mean, like the, everything was running 100%. The penny stocks were were hot. And, it, you know, that's also how I kind of learned, you know, my, my strategy of spreading out my plays. Because if an offering hit, things would drop 20%. If a PR hit, it would run 150%. So I was like, okay, math checks out. I'll just be in a shit ton. And, and then I learned like my scalping method off of the stock Mark, M-A-R-K. It used to go from 36 cents to 40 cents every day off of like a tweet by the company or Mark Holdings. And I kind of just learned, okay, in and out, in and out, in and out. That's kind of how my whole strategy developed. I would just swing these things, do my whole in and out thing until the PR came. And I would just learn their personalities and range. And by that time, you know, I was still learning and I thought, you know, there were so many things I was learning from other people that we could just put into a podcast. Cause at this point people are asking me questions and I was like, damn, I don't even know. But yeah, I mean, I think that kind of sums up like the trading thing, obviously the account, uh, by the time we started the podcast, it was around 60,000 by, because that, that 2000, whenever it was in March after the huge dip and everything, it, it exploded, you know, everything was running. Uh, I compounded as well as I could. And I mean, I went from 5k to 25k in a month. I mean, that PDT was just smoked, stayed on a cash account the whole time. Didn't, you know, I, I tried my best to know ex- whenever I hit PDT, I knew exactly how I was going to trade. And I just continued trading that way. And uh, now I have a couple accounts. Uh, one is comfortably over six figures and one is nearing the six figures. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's wild what it, what it can all become, especially thinking just a year ago exactly, it was probably a $2,000 account. So that's me. That's incredible, dude. That's really awesome. And I mean, now you're just having incredible days. You're just maximizing that account. That, that's really awesome. Thank you. And you, uh, you obviously went a little different route starting in like 16 and learning fundamentals and charts and not just rocket emojis. <laughs> so uh, I know it's been a while since you told that. one. Yeah. Yeah. So when I started, it was because I had a heart condition. And at that time, I really couldn't play many sports. I mean, like I would pass out in like the first and anyone from high school, um, I would pass out inside the first quarter of the football game. Uh, so I realized quickly that, you know, I was not going to be JJY. I also was like five, nine, you know, maybe five, 10, you know what I mean? Uh, but, uh, so that really didn't, um, you know, that wasn't going to bode well for the long term. So my cousin, uh, was dating a fund manager who's now one of my best friends and he got me, he was just trying to, you know, kiss up to me and be nice to the little cousin. And, uh, and he ended up giving me two books and I read them that weekend. It was Christmas Eve. I read them like 2014 or 2013. And I read them, uh, that, that weekend and I fell in love and I just basically took that passion that I had for sports and, uh, trans transitioned that into, you know, stocks. And, And in the beginning, oh my gosh, 
I, I had a $7,000 account. And the worst thing that one of the worst things that I used to say is one of the worst things that happened to me was I made money on my first trade. And, uh, and that was the worst thing ever. Cause I thought that this was, you know, I thought I, I would be a billionaire by 19. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so that was one of the worst things that ever happened. To me. Well, looking back, it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because from there, I, I blew up the $7,000, which at that time was everything to me. You know, there's no daddy's money here. You know, it, it's working two jobs that, that, you know, and going to school. So that's, that's how it started. And then I continuously <laughs> lost money for the next year and a half. And basically what would happen is that, um, I would work two jobs or three jobs during the summer and that would go into my bank or, you know, the, the TD account and, uh, effectively right out within a few weeks. So, so technically speaking, I've blown up once, but, uh, if I didn't have, you know, the continuous money coming into the TD Ameritrade account, I, I it honestly, it'd probably be like 15 or 16 times. Um, so that's how, that's how it started. And then I basically took a year and a half and just started to understand what doesn't move, what doesn't work. You know, I, I, it's so funny because the barrier to entry into the market, um, you know, looking back, it, it seems like nothing. Uh, or I mean, I mean, you know, when, when you're looking back, uh, you know, the only thing that at that time, you know, I was like, oh man, if I can figure out how to use this broker TD Ameritrade think or swim, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to kill it. Uh, and, and little did I know that using the broker is just, just the, the first pebble in the, uh, in, in the rock, you know, in the, in the quarry. So from there, from there, like I said, I, I continued to lose money for the next year and a half, two years. And then I came across, you know, I, I had had a Twitter at that time and, uh, and I was posting ideas and, and started to gain a little traction. And then I joined BSS's room and BSS was able to teach me about, you know, some of accounting and some, some things to look for inside stocks that, um, you know, and he really helped me with some of my DD. And, uh, then from there, you know, I had found PJ Atlas and I had made the transition over to there where Bob was really instrumental. Zach was really instrumental in, in, in my process, because at that time I was still doing about, you know, from, once I became profitable, I really never looked back. Um, you know, everyone has some bumps on the road, but from there, I've, I've been able to have thousand percent years every year since. So that being said, from there, I was able to really maximize. But the issue that I'd run into before I had met PJ, Zach and Bob was that I had an issue with scaling. I, at that time, six figures had been incredible money to me. So, um, you know, I had never even thought about seven figures. Um, yeah, I, I never even ventured down that path. So, um, you know, they had really helped me with scaling and understanding, you know, how you really can kill this on a deeper level on the next level. And, you know, obviously we see them just, just destroying any means of what wealthy is. And, uh, and so that's, they were really instrumental in getting me to the next step. Um, and, and then, then, you know, I started to, you know, be a bigger influence on Twitter, um, by, you know, trying to give back and just help people. And that's where, uh, you know, that's where Dan and I kind of, you know, started to interact when I started, you know, started to try and give back because one of the things that I think, um, you know, we don't talk enough about is that 
He was like, Dan really needed some help. So giving back to this kid. No, I think it was, I think it was, I got a GHSI price target question every, uh, every day for like a week. Yeah. I had like half my account in bro. <laughs> if I, if I had half my account in TRCH, you'd be, you'd be getting the same amount of DMs. Yeah. So I think, I think that's kind of, you know, and, and because I wanted to give back because I understood that um that I, I you know and even to this day I think one of the one of the things that has helped me most is understanding that understanding that I understand that I know nothing and what I mean by that is that I'm understand that I know the tip of the iceberg but underneath the water or you know the sea level there's a thousand feet deep of the iceberg and so that has really helped me but I wanted to also be able to share what I had already known because you know, I, I really hadn't copied a certain trader. It was a mix of all the different traders. You know, I had started learning about, um, you know, arbitrage and, and I had started learning, you know, about day trading and swing trading. And so I had taken a little bit of everything that I had learned and created my own system and what worked for me. And so I wanted to be able to help anyone that I possibly could with the understanding that, um, you know, I also know nothing, if that makes sense. And so then I met Dan, Dan and I started to talk frequently and, uh, and how'd we start the podcast? You want to, you want to talk about that? Yeah. I, uh, I said in trader chat one day, whenever he was just talking there, I was like, man, we should start a podcast. And I was like, I just don't know if you's got Tom. And he was like, yeah, I got Tom. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And you know, so we just hopped on like an app and recorded our very first one. Um, and that's why it sounds so bad. And then we were like, okay, we should get someone to help with this. And that's where Vinny kind of started editing all of them. And no, I mean, uh, we took like a three-week break on one. Didn't even know if we'd come back. But we got so many requests after, you know, those first 10 episodes that, that we just had to. And man, how crazy. I mean uh an advertising spot on the podcast now is more than two weeks at my last job <laughs> <laughs> wow that's incredible yeah you know it's really funny to see where where we've come from it i i hadn't had my first and it's crazy to think about i hadn't had my first um soda at a yes <laughs> yeah uh, yeah um uh, my first soda at a restaurant because that's how you know i'd always grown up you know to be you know, to value the dollar, you know, so, so extensively. And, um, so the first time that I had, had a soda out at a restaurant, I was like, Whoa, I'm like, is this like what rich people do? Um, <laughs> and, and so it's incredible that, you know, to see how far we've really come. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is, it is fun, especially seeing like, I mean, you're so young and you, you're so rich and it's crazy. You, you still spend all this time, uh, giving back, which is super awesome. Super happy to do this with you. And I would want no other Furu on Twitter to be my Valentine, except maybe Zach. Well, I mean, finance is fine. I mean, this is a financial podcast. Dude. We're all about <laughs> financial incentives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, dude, this has been a great time. And I really feel like we're just starting to step into uh, into our own. And, uh, and and I can't wait to see where we are next Valentine's. For sure. Yeah. Married. Um, <laughs> now, but one thing, one thing we are thinking about bringing back, I know we're these past two weeks have been crazy because of like the, the three day weekends and, you know, all the traveling and we've just been in a little rambunctious situation. But 
One thing we do want to bring back uh, going, you know, going forward is the midweek episodes making permanent. One thing I, I have an idea, trader interviews for midweek episodes, you know, the ripsters, the ultras, we get the Zach's, well, Zach and Pete, you know, we, we may have some that deserve a Sunday episode, but, you know, getting those traders on because everyone likes to hear traders, uh, hear their stories, how they made it, how they learned, how they got better and their insights. So we're going to try our best to get those back there for you. Um, I know you actually just got to the, were, were you done with your store? <laughs> yeah, no, I was done with my, basically oh, okay. sum it up, heart condition, stocks, lost a lot, started to not lose as much. And, uh, Dan. Wow. Congrats, dude. The all, all culminated to that final event, Dan. Um, <laughs> congr- yeah. Congrats, Dan. But yeah, no, we hope we can start bringing back these Wednesday episodes. Let us know who you want us to have on. We'll, we'll try and schedule up some, some things to happen, maybe even record something on Monday for President's Day and have it out on Wednesday if you're lucky. So uh, yeah, guys, make sure to rate five stars. Give us a subscription, a like, and all that good stuff. And if you're not following us on Twitter, if you happen to discover us through the podcasting app, we are there. I am Dip Deity on Twitter, and he is Hugh underscore Henny. And... We'll see you next time.